What's going on, Seven Footers crew? Your girl is back. Your guy is back. Jenna and Gerard here. It is the NBA Finals, baby. And dare I say, these bucks are coming back and giving <laughs> the Suns a little bit of a run for their money. Devin Booker, a little slump in that game three. What do we got to say, Gerard? How you doing over there? I'm doing well, man. Look, it's uh, it's 2-1 Phoenix right now, right? You know, we it's funny. We do this thing all the time in sports, Jenna, right? It's like... The Suns go out to a 2 0 leader, but it's like, oh, it's over. They're going to sweep. And everybody's just like losing their mind. And it's like, all the Suns did was their job. They won their two games at home. Now it's the Bucks' turn to win their two games. Right? I mean, and you know, you know the old adage a series does not begin until a home team loses, right? Well, mm-hmm. a home team hasn't lost yet. So we out here, right? Like everybody's just doing what they're supposed to do. You're supposed to win at home. And this is, this is what's happening right now. So we're, it's 2 1. Game four will be on Wednesday night, and, you know, it's just interesting, Jenna. Like, I, I, you know, the title of this episode, A Tale of Two Cities. Like, two different things going on, right? In Phoenix, things were looking rosy and everything all good for the Suns. But in Milwaukee, dear, dear Valley, fear the, fear the deer. It's like, whoa, Giannis coming out like a house on fire. Just, woo! <laughs> Giannis coming out on fire, like you said, putting himself in good company with none other than MJ with these 40 point performances. He dropped two of those in the last two games here in the series, and he's on fire back to his old self after that hyperextended knee kind of gave us all a scare here. So their last game, 120 to 100 in game three, that was the Suns' toughest and biggest loss. And like I mentioned before, Devin Booker didn't have a great game compared to the clinic he's kind of been putting on here. Chris Paul, his old usual self. And again, the Bucks doing their job, like you said. I love when you add nuance, that's your word, <laughs> to these narratives that try to jump the gun here mm-hmm. when really, like you said, these guys are doing their jobs. Exactly. But yeah, the tale of two cities. We got this episode 119 for you guys right before game four let's start with Giannis because he's the one that is on fire the spotlights on him at home here to bring the Bucks their second home win how dominant has he truly been are we witnessing something that we could potentially be taking advantage of uh, this is I mean this is he's already putting forth one of the great finals performances of all time and we're only three games in I mean he is a dominant force and the Suns have no answer for him literally none no one can stop him. But I always I talk about it all the time, Jenna. You are not going to stop superstars. Like, they're just too good. And the thing about it is Giannis has eliminated those things from his game, which make him easier to defend. He's not out here jacking threes. He's not out here thinking he's Kevin Durant shooting mid-range pull-ups. No. He's like, you know what? I'm really good at getting to the rim. I'm just going to do that. And it's like, oh, funny how when you do that no one can stop you right like and so he's just feasting in the paint and his motor and his energy is relentless even when he misses a shot he's going back up to get the rebound and it's you know he put DeAndre Ayton in foul trouble right and god like the Suns and we'll talk about this later they have nobody behind Ayton right and so when Giannis is putting that kind of relentless pressure on your front court 
There's not a lot you can do. Um, he's he's playing like prime Shaq, like Joel Embiid. I mean, this is this is who he is. Like I understand that he can handle and pass the ball, and that's a that's a nice skill set to add to his repertoire. But the paint is where he feasts. That's where mm-hmm. you live, my guy. And even if he's getting fouled, he's going to the free throw line. He was 13 for 17 last game. You know, not amazing, but for him, that's great. So, and if he's going to shoot 13 to 17, he's, guess what? The Bucks will take that. And you know the Suns will want to put him on the line. So he he is playing unbelievable basketball right now. I mean, even with the series uh, 2-1 in favor of the Suns, he would be the finals MVP right now because he's been the best player on the floor in this post in this finals run. That is true. And you bring up that he was 13 for 17 at the line. He was at the line more than the Suns team collectively. Yes. And I didn't check the time on that game, but (laughs) throwing a little friendly joke about his routine, that game must have been the latest one of this year. (laughs) Well, you know, what's funny, actually, Jenna, he his so since they were at home, he doesn't have the crowd counting down. He mm-hmm. actually, he was a little bit quicker in his deliberation and his and his motions. And it's just so funny. I think, look, going back, it, when the series, because now that we know, since the Bucks already won game three, this series will at least go five. When they go back to Phoenix, if I'm the Phoenix Suns fans in that crowd, I'm shifting up the variation, the way in which I count. Instead of doing so the super fast one, two, three, four, I might slow mm-hmm. it down. One, right? <laughs> Just to like throw them off rhythm. And I might even go count backwards, count down from 10 to 1. Do anything to to throw his rhythm off, right? Because right now he knows, oh, they're going to count 1 to 10 super fast. I'm going to play off that and get into rhythm. So switch it up, man. Be smart. Come on, crowd. Do something different. Heck yeah. Let's talk about, lastly, with Giannis, this this knee. He's said that he's not in any pain. He looks like he's moving well. He's playing well, like he didn't just hyperextend his left knee. I'm asking you this because you've talked to so many medical professionals around the league. You've been really digging deep into this sort of topic, especially since this season and postseason has been riddled by injury. So with that being said, after suffering that knee injury in the Hawks series, the hyperextended knee, which looked pretty gruesome, thank God the Bucks said there was nothing torn, things of that nature. Do you think – how serious do you think that knee injury is? Do you think he's playing through pain? He's 100% playing through pain, but he's not letting on, right? Like, look, you, everyone saw the video. Nobody's knee bends in that direction, and they're fine. Like, that's just not mm-hmm. – and I get it. He's the, the, the 1% of the 1% of elite athletes in the world. I get that. And the Bucks putting out all this information about how, you know, Giannis's body just heals better than other people. Like, like he's Wolverine or something. It's like, all right. <laughs> like, look, all that may be true. But the actual physiology and biomechanics suggest that there is still a level of pain and he is just managing it. I will say, while he looks great on offense, he isn't moving as well laterally on defense. Okay. And you can see that. On, and that's the thing. I think, you know, oftentimes we talk about fans when they watch, they're looking at, oh, Gerard, what are you talking about? Giannis is fine, 40 and 17 and whatever. He's great. Yeah. But you see him on defense, Chris Paul putting him in a blender, right? And it's like all these different things. And it's like, this is a DPOY, right? A former defensive player of the year who is not able to move laterally, right? Left to right quickly as he was in the past, right? Because of this injury. And is that something that the, that the Bucks can, that the Suns, excuse me, can take advantage of? So yeah, he, he's, he's playing through pain for sure, but clearly he's managing it well. 
He said after game three, he's still getting treatment around the clock. Um, treatment, whatever that means. I'll let you guys uh, read into that on your own. But look, mm-hmm. it, it, it there's still, I'm sure, is a level of pain there. Um, but it's, you know, he's managing it well, at least on the offense. It's not like he's playing terrible defense. He's playing fine defense. But there are still areas where you can see it's not quite there. Now, these extra days of rest, is two days, uh, the two days off in between games, I'm sure it's helpful. But like I always say, Jenna, like, playing NBA basketball isn't going to make an injury better, right? All you're doing is stressing that area still more, right? That's all that's happening. So, you know, mm-hmm. bottom line is he's managing the pain well and he's playing through it. We'll see how this looks if this series goes six or seven, right? How well is the pain management going to be then? It may be fine. We don't know. Interesting, interesting. I mean, he's playing like he didn't just hyperextend his knees. So, I mean, these performances that we're seeing are absolutely remarkable. So let's switch to the other side because Devin Booker didn't have a great game in game three. He was three for 14 from the field, one for seven from three point range for only 10 points. He didn't play in the fourth. And that's that says a lot mm-hmm. because of the performance that he put on. So it, can he climb out of this slump? What's the deal here with this? I mean, he said in media availability today that, again, you know, put up a great tough run as he should, confident per usual, and said, you know, he's a short-term memory. You know, you just move on, shake it off. So do you predict a big game for him in game four? I mean, I, I think he'll definitely play better in game four. Whatever a big game looks like, I don't know, because some of the things the Bucks are doing defensively, you know, is, is bothering him. But you know, we have to remember, right? Like, and I say this all the time, Jenna, and you know, playoff basketball and regular season basketball is two different things. Let's keep this in mind. This is Devin Booker's first playoff run. First. Mm-hmm. It just so happens it, his team is playing in the NBA Finals. But th- most people, their first playoff run does not go to the NBA Finals. And what he's seeing differently than he sees in the regular season is when you're playing the same team in a series, Their game plan is, okay, how are we taking you away? The things you like to do, we're going to take those things away from you. How are you going to counter that, right? This is his first experience dealing with that. So in the regular season, there's too many games. Teams don't have time for all that crap. It's literally, we just want to survive, no injuries, play as well as we can, Mm -hmm. move on to the next. But no, this is a series, right? So there's tons of film. They know what what Book likes to do where he likes to get to on the floor, what his spots are. So now Book's got to get into his bag and say, okay, this is how they're fronting, this is how they're playing me. Okay, here's how I'm going to counter that within the offensive structure of my team. And I think there are some ways that Book can do that. And let's also be honest about some things. He just missed some shots in game three, right? Like Mm -hmm. um, there were some shots that that were open that he normally makes. He missed them and even contested shots that he normally makes that that he missed, right? Again, some of that's the Bucs defense. Some of that's just the nature of, you don't make every shot you take. Sometimes you just miss. You know, the, the famous, you know, Jeff Van Gundy line. This is a make-miss league, right? Like, <laughs> sometimes you just miss, right? And it doesn't really have a whole lot to do with the defense. So I think for Devin, this is all, again, you know, what we talk about when we talk about LeBron James and Kevin Durant and the elite of the elite, even Chris Paul, these guys have a reservoir of experiences in the playoff, the playoffs that they can tap into. Oh, I know what this is, right? And it's automatic for them, right? Because mm-hmm. they've experienced it so much. Again, this is Book's first time going through the playoffs. He doesn't have that reservoir to go to. But he doesn't have years. Of, oh, yeah. That doesn't yep. exist. Everything he's doing is happening in real time on the fly as he's going, right? So he has not experienced it yet. I'm sure in his second, third, fourth, if he's so lucky, further on in his career, 
it will be even better because he'll know. Oh, yeah, I know what this is. It's the mm-hmm. first time. So you're going to experience some of that. So I think, you know, there are definitely some things that, that the Suns are going to do to probably work him out and get him just some get his confidence up early. Right. But, you know, Devin is book is from that Kobe Bryant school right? that Mamba mentality. Like he's not going to be phased by this. Um, this is the kid that went to Kentucky and wasn't a starter and was went off the bench, right? He could have gone to any other program in the country and been a starter. I was like, nah, I'm gonna go to Kentucky and compete with these guys. So you know he is not afraid of competition and afraid of the moment, right? Like he's gonna battle and we'll see, we'll see what happens in game four. Love to see it. Do you think that Phoenix will come out with a different game plan to slow down Giannis defensively? I mean, they if have that's to. even possible. <laughs> they have to, right? Because so, look, as I said before, you're not going to stop him, but you have to make it more difficult, right? We always say the superstars are going to score their 30, their 40, whatever, but you can't have them doing it on like 20 shots. They can't be efficient doing it. You have to make them inefficient, right? Make them miss a lot and waste empty possessions. Guard them hard without fouling. That's the key. How can I guard them without fouling? Because you know, once you foul, you get into the bonus. It's just, it makes the, it makes every possession that much more difficult. So I think Phoenix will come out and try to build up that wall um, against Giannis and they'll send more help. Look, ultimately, here's the thing. Within the Bucks' offense, you know, they want to go Giannis first, Middleton, right, can create, kicking out to guys like Holiday. If I'm Phoenix, turn this into a PJ Tucker, um, Pat Connaughton, Bobby Portis series, right? Make those dudes be the ones to shoot threes and beat me. Because if Tucker, Portis, and Connaughton, if they're the one, if they're hitting eight, nine, 10, 12, 15 threes combined, well, you were going to lose anyway, right? So it doesn't matter. But make those dudes beat you, right? Double the other guys and have them force it to their other option, right? When you're playing basketball or you're doing anything, right? And I, it's interesting, I'm going to football here. And it's a different game because in football, one play can make a huge difference. In basketball, it's a little bit different. Everyone knows about the Giants and and Patriots Super Bowls that they've had, right? And NFL Films did a great job where in one of the Super Bowls that the Giants won, it was a late drive and the Giants were behind and trying to, and trying to score to go ahead. And you hear Bill Belichick on the sideline say to the defense, make them throw the ball to Manningham, right? Don't let them give it to their number one and number two receiver. Don't let Knicks or Cruz get it. Make them go to Manningham. Now, he did have to go to Manningham, and Manningham made the play. But the idea there is make your opponent go to their third, fourth, fifth option, not their one and two. There's a reason why it's your one and two option, because it's your best option. Make them go to the one they don't want to go to first, right? Put that player in a position where he has to do things he is not accustomed to doing, right? Oh, yeah, Pat Connaughton. You probably don't want to take nine, 10 threes a game. Well, I'm going to make you take nine, 10 threes a game, right? How do you feel? How do you handle that? Now, easier said than done, right? But that's, that's your mindset. Force your opponent into what they don't want to do. That's, that's something I think that the Phoenix Suns are going to do a little bit more of uh, in game four. Love that explanation. Let's talk about DeAndre and who has slowly but surely solidified himself as the Suns three of three, big three with Paul and Booker, but the foul trouble Mm -hmm. in game three, which Mm -hmm. Monty Williams pointed out, Mm -hmm. that was a disparity to them. How much should the Suns be worried about his foul trouble just because that's it? He's 
He's it. There's no backup Correct. for him. Correct. We, yeah. Correct. We have injury plaguing their big men. Correct. So he is one of one in Correct. the paint. That is it. You hit the nail so on the head, Jenna. How much should we be worried about this in Phoenix? It's it's a concern, right? A, a, a big skill in the NBA is playing defense without fouling, right? That that is a mm-hmm. premium skill. The Suns were not able to do that, particularly Aiton in Game Three. Now your challenge there is Dario Saric is hurt. So with Saric hurt, that means now Frank Kaminsky has to play center minutes. That ain't good for Phoenix. Anytime Kaminsky's on the floor, Milwaukee's like, ooh, win for us, right? We are winning those minutes. So now that means DeAndre Ayton's got to play more minutes. Well, the more minutes he plays, more opportunity because he's going to get fouled, right? And as excellent as he is, and he's such a good young player, and he's only going to get better, asking him to single cover Giannis for the majority of the game you're asking for foul trouble. And Monty said it. And Chris Paul said it after game three. We got to build a wall and protect DeAndre from, right? We can't leave him on. Sometimes he's going to get caught on the island. Every, but, and that's fine. But he can't have that steady dose of just one-on-one coverage against Giannis as he did in that game. And, you know, there's going to be also some adjustments have being having to made by, by DeAndre in terms of, okay, my guy, like you, if this is going to be the situation where you know you're playing heavy minutes, you can't have any of those cheap fouls. You know that one where you dig down and you reach your hand out to slap? Nope. Mm-mm. None of those, my friend. You cannot. You only have six in a game, right? If you if you waste two on silly plays like that, you only got four left, right? I mean, you're going to foul out, right? I mean, so it's, it's discipline, right? And so Phoenix is going to have to get back to that elite defense they played, forcing the Bucks again, to play in space, making sure they're, ro- I'm sorry, play in, in tight conditions, right? So their rotations are crisp. Again, the Sarge injury does hurt them because that's a guy who most people don't think about it. He's tough, big, and strong and can eat up some minutes and he can play defense, right? And just right off the bat, that's another person who's got six fouls, right? So you 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 have someone who can take some of the burden, but with him being out and he can space the floor on offense, it, it, it's it's tough. But I expect Monty and, and the Suns to do a little bit more of, of a wall building to protect DeAndre uh, in game four. All right. Well, prediction game four. Do you think the Bucks are going to take it at home? Uh, you know, yeah, this is so interesting. I, I said Phoenix in six um, uh, at the start. And, you know, I'll, I'll put it like this. I see game four being much closer than game three. And that's what I want to see. And a tight game where it's actually close down the stretch. A one mm-hmm. or two possession game late in the fourth. Which team can execute better? I will lean Phoenix, because they have the point guard, right? In every possession, he's going to likely get you into something good, right? Make mm-hmm. or miss the shot, whatever. But you're likely not going to turn the ball over. So I, I, I favor Phoenix in a closer one to two possession game late in the fourth. I agree. I favor Phoenix in a closer scoring game because... As Chris Paul preaches, they're famous for closing out quarters strong. Mm-hmm. So let's do this in Milwaukee and head back to the Valley. I mean, if they, if they go back to the Valley up 3-1, I mean, wow. Because now, as I said, the series doesn't start until the home team loses. Well, then that means Milwaukee, so they're facing elimination now. now. And Phoenix has a chance to clinch. And you know, the hardest win in any series is the clinching, is, is the one that clinched mm-hmm. the series, right? Like, so... Mm-hmm. It, look, these teams are evenly matched, right? I mean, there's a reason why they're here. Um, the, it would surprise nobody if this goes six seven, right? Like that's just that's that's the nature of of what this is. And again, as that pressure mounts for both sides, 
who handles it well, right? Amen. And also pending injury too. I have the sons in seven. So <laughs> let's pray we're uh, recording an episode <laughs> with that in mind, my friends. Um, I also see in the show notes that Gerard is fascinated by the ABC's uh, AK camera angles showing these close-ups of the crowds. Make sure nobody's uh, doing mean, anything inappropriate up in here. Jenna, can we talk about these up-close crowd shots? Um, what are your thoughts? Like, um, what about David Bakhtari from the Packers? <laughs> I mean, he, like, like chugging, chugging a, beer. a beer and the camera was like right here in his face. Um, I, I, I like it because it's a different perspective, but except, like use it for the right reason. Right. I mean, you mean to tell me in Phoenix and Milwaukee, how do I say this nicely? There aren't more aesthetically pleasing people in those crowds that you can be oh, showing close ups of? My God. Listen, oh, I don't, I I don't need to see there. drunk bros like, a, nah, I'm good. In 8K, nah, I'm good. No, like show us the bench then, man. Like, like, right. Show us I'm, the players arguing or something. I'm like, good. Get us up in here. I don't need to see yeah, that. I, like, I, I'm, I'm straight on, on, on drunk bros. Uh, nah, like we're good I agree. <laughs> I agree. Like put something in there that like, you know, we want to see something. that's worthy of seeing. In, in, in 8K, no less. That is the beyond high def. Like, come on, man. Like. Listen, you know, I don't want to call anybody out, but just, you know, show some more aesthetically pleasing things. <laughs> I'm ready for a draw. I'm here for you. I support you and your opinions on this. It's completely mutual feeling. I mean, Jesus, invite us. I have some good shoes to Oh, we're so way better in AK for sure. <laughs> yeah, like for real. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about another thing that's also confusing. Um, USA basketball, 0-2 mm -hmm. in their exhibition games. Mm -hmm. Not good. Haven't done that since the 1990s. Mm -hmm. And... We also have um, new notifications here. Jason Tatum out against Argentina with right knee soreness. What's going on with Team USA and uh, led by our beloved Coach Pop? I mean, this team as a team is not good, Jenna. Like, There's no chemistry. That sounds crazy because you're like, oh my God, you got Kevin Durant, Damian Lillard, Jason. Yes. Well, it's the classic. Let's put a billion good guys together and right. expect it to work out. That ain't it, my friends. And not to mention, these guys just got to training camp for USA Basketball, what, a week ago? What kind of chemistry do you think these fools have in a week? Not and to half mention, of them are playing in the finals. Not to mention, these guys played in the playoffs, and they're exhausted after a condensed regular season plus playoffs. Now you want these dudes to show up at Olympic ball and be like, oh, we're ready to roll. No. Look, I, I just, I think there is cause for concern here, like, Jenna, like I said this in the group chat with the guys, this team could not meddle. Like, it's very possible. Look. Okay. That was my next question. Here's the thing. Is Kevin Durant really? Of course. Is he better than anybody else that the world team has in basketball? Yeah. But this ain't five games of one-on-one. -on -one. That's not what this is. This is team versus team. And these other squads uh, have the chemistry and the, and the reps of playing together. And they understand their system and what they're doing. They also understand FIBA basketball rules better. It's just a very different situation than the American teams have. Mm -hmm. And I just think that there needs to be a full redo on how we look at this. Because everyone knows, 92, the dream team, when they went to Barcelona and, you know, really just put on a show for the world, that brought about the, you know, the, the spark to really push and accelerate the globalization of the game. 
the rest of the world is excellent at basketball. Think about the top players in the league, Jenna. How many of them are not from the United States? Luka Doncic, Nikola Jokic, our MVP, Joel Embiid, right? Ben Simmons, well, you know, Ben Simmons is a different story, but, um, you know, DeAndre Ayton, right? How many incredible guys aren't even from here, right? This is the rest of the world being like, yo, we're really good at this game too. And I think from a Team USA perspective, what they need to do is shift the way they look at the Olympics. I think this should be uh, under 25 team. So no, anybody who's older than 25, you're not playing. It's 25 and under. And think about this, Jenna. How many players either lost early, so like got swept first round, or didn't make the playoffs at all, who were young, who had plenty of time this offseason to like get their rest and start training camp late in June and get ready to play? Wouldn't that have been better if you started training camp late in June with a bunch of guys who had four weeks off, who had a chance to build their chemistry and camaraderie, now mm-hmm. ready to go play? Oh, What's Zion Williamson been doing for the past two months? Not playing playoff basketball. John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., Jared Allen from the Cleveland Cavaliers. So many young, really good players. Zach Levine, who is on this team, who had plenty of time to rest and they can come into camp and say, okay, let's do something. Because then what you have there, Jenna, is time to build chemistry and people know their roles, right? So it's like, oh, Mm -hmm. I'm the facilitator. I'm the D, the three and D guy. I'm this, I'm that, right? And then you can implement your playoff or implement your schemes defensively and offensively. So then when you show up in your first exhibition game, it isn't like, wow, have these guys ever played together? Well, no, of course they haven't. This is the first time. But you would have had mm-hmm. some experience working with a bunch of inner squad scrimmages and just time to get to know tendencies and know who can do what. And right. I mean, honestly, it... it, it that's where we should be headed with this. Like, look, I get it. Katie, Draymond, Brad, all you got. Great. Like, I love that you want to play for Team USA and do your thing. But, yo, like, especially someone like Katie, like, you've already won two gold medals, two Olympic goals. Like, you're good. We'll see you, man. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. Thank you. But, you know, you take the offseason off, my friend. Let's Let's get some young blood in here. Again, who has time to work with each other and build chemistry. And then we can go from there. Agreed. I really think Team USA took a huge risk here, uh, taking a lot of a handful of the guys who were either injured or went long within the season. I, I really do. Again, uh, repeating everything that you say. I mean, some of these guys, Booker, um, and, and, Drew and, Holiday, thank you. And we're still playing in the finals. Thank you. <laughs> like, Holiday, Middleton, and Booker. I believe all three of them. You, we are so Team USA is like, oh, don't worry. Wait till those three guys get here. Excuse me. Those three guys who are going through the most grueling basketball of their lives in the NBA Finals right now, or what, they're just going to show up and be like, oh, we're fine. Like, are you high? Let me take this, like, 20,000-hour flight to right. Tokyo right. and then meet you guys there and expect all and, to and, be right. out. And, and, and play 40 minutes ready to, ready to – are you crazy? Like, no. And the other part about having the young guys go, Jenna, what that does for you is the Olympic cycles we know is every four years – that gives you continuity so you can have guys overlap and play two, two straight Olympics, right? right. If you start when you're 22, you're 26 for the next Olympics, right? Okay, that works, right? Mm-hmm. So that's your second one. You're done with that cycle, right? You, you, you see what I'm saying? It's just we got to use more foresight with this. I just think that's, that's a way better plan than what we're doing right now. 
Couldn't agree more. Could not agree more. Shifting gears, let's talk about a little coaching news here because we got some new hires around the league out of the 20 billion vacancies out of all the 20 billion rebuilds. <laughs> so let's go to Orlando because they are in the nitty gritty mm -hmm. of an extreme rebuild. Oh and God. Jamal Mosley, who mm -hmm. spent the last decade plus in Denver, has given has been given the task to pick up this rebuild and lead it in Orlando. What are your thoughts on this after the Magic finished 21 and 51 this season? Well, listen, he's got quite the job ahead of him, <laughs> right? Let's just <laughs> let's just be be clear about that. I think, you know, first of all, I'm very happy that um this was a a, a hire of, of of a black person and another African American coach. You know, I I think that's huge. I think, mm -hmm. you know, he has been with the Nuggets, he went with the Cavs, he's been with the Dallas Mavericks. Like he's learned from some great coaches, right? He's learned from Mike, Michael, excuse me, Michael Malone. He's learned from Rick Carlisle, right? Like he, so I think he's got some, some, some good sort of uh, coaches that he can pull from. And then of course he has his own philosophies on what he wants to do. The bottom line in Orlando is development, right? You've got a lot of young talent mm -hmm. who's good. Cole Anthony, Markel Fultz. Mo Bamba, Jonathan Isaac, like you, a lot of young talent, all what, 23 and younger. That's what we want. And Jonathan Isaac before that injury was yes. on a good path. Yes. Let's develop these guys. Like, right. Mm -hmm. Let's get them good at playing basketball because it, again, youth is such a big thing. And these guys are all talented, man. You can do some things with that squad. You got big men, right. And you have, you have guards who can create and penetrate and shoot. Like, I mean, that's, that's a big deal. So, mm -hmm. you know, look, I'm not expecting any playoff runs, and that shouldn't be the goal. You have to – what is your long-term plan? Five years from now, what, where do I see this team? Three years from now, okay, and then I work my way backwards, okay? So what are the improvements we want to see in year one, right? Maybe something like we want to have a positive net rating. Oh, that could be a good start, right? That may be a great place to start. The Orlando Magic, negative net rating, right? I mean, so yeah. let's work on things like that where you and build your culture, whatever it may be. And I would imagine for mostly it's like uh, we want to build a defensive identity, right? And then you work mm -hmm. your way around that. So kudos to the Orlando Magic on, on, finding the, on finding their coach. And I hope that he's giving the opportunity, Jenna, to see this rebuild through, through its entirety and not pull the plug in two years. Yep, that's the thing with these rebuilds and these front offices and the pressure that comes with a rebuild, it requires patience. It requires time. It requires years. I feel like I always revert back to this, but one of the best rebuilds I've seen in recent years would be the Brooklyn Nets. So again, patience, look where they are now. Huh. So anyway, let's talk about another move here because the Pelicans are expected to close in on a deal with Willie Green, the current Suns assistant. He's been there for five years. He was on the Warriors championship teams in 2017, 2018. Before that, he was with what? I believe it was the Spurs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, I like the hire. He's the third youngest coach in the NBA or about to be if this deal goes through. Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts on that? Because as we talked about a couple episodes ago, the Pelicans are going through the motions after the firing of coach Sam Van Gundy. They got rid of uh, Donnie Nelson there and reportedly Luca was disgruntled with the front office after they were bounced out early in the playoffs by the Clippers. So talk to me about this hire. Oh, you mean for the Pelicans, not for the Mavericks. Oh, Jesus. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Jeez. Uh, no, you're all good. God. No, I, I like Last it, right? topic of the episode. I'm like, oh, <laughs> all good. 
I like it. Um, spending time with Steve Kerr and Mike Brown in Golden State, seeing championships, that's helpful. And then learning under Monty Williams right now on the Phoenix Suns as they embark on their finals run. Um, and you're getting different styles, right? And you mentioned him being one of the youngest coaches in the league. That's good because it'll help him relate to the young players. New Orleans is a young squad, right? Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, right? Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Mm-hmm. Uh, these, these, are, these are players who are younger. Can he connect with them? Um, and I believe he can. This is great. Again, another coach, head coach being hired who's black. That's wonderful. Um, look, again, I hope that David Griffin and Trajan Langdon give Willie Green the time to see this yep. through to fruition. Now, he is in a, a little bit different situation than uh, Jamal Mosley in, in, in Orlando because people are going to expect, well, you have Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson. You should make the playoffs. And it's like, oh, pause. This is the Western Conference, okay? Yep. It, this is real hard, okay? Um, you're not even better than Memphis right now with John Morant and Triple J, right? So let's let's not, right? And they were the eighth seed. Let's not even talk about you're going to be making mm-hmm. the playoffs. Again, defensively, this team has been atrocious. Let's build a defensive identity first, right? Mm-hmm. Figure that piece of it out. Have Get those guys to commit and buy into that end of the floor. You do that. Now we start talking about, okay, what can we do with this squad? And I think, you know, again, it's not going to happen overnight, but there, there's talent there for sure. Plenty of talent on this roster. Um, you know, it'll be, I'm very curious to see what Griff's long-term plans are with, with this team. I am too. I'm I'm sorry. I'm just still giggling how I just gave you all the dramatics of what's going off <laughs> with the Dallas. Dallas Maverick. I was like, oh, that ain't got nothing to do with New Orleans. I was like, this is Oh my <laughs> god, I was like all up in the drama. I was actually writing about it today and I was like <laughs> but oh my god, yeah. Well, all these teams seem to be struggling a little bit that we were talking yeah, about. Yeah, and, and of course we know the uh, Jason Kidd obviously uh, you know gonna coach down in down in Dallas. Um Look, now Dallas, his situation is different because they're going to expect to make the playoffs again as they did last year, but they expect to advance further than they have been, right? Mm-hmm. What has Jason Kidd learned in his time away from being a head coach? What did he learn working under Frank Vogel as a Lakers assistant, right? What what sort of insights did he pick up to change some of his philosophies? How can he get Luka to commit to buy into that end of the floor? They, they I'm sure, will see the game similar from an offensive perspective. Offense ain't Dallas's problem, right? Like, how can they play defensively? Can he get the best out of Chris Stapps Porzingis? What is it? What is uh? What is the rest of that roster going to do from a GM perspective? You know that that all remains to be seen. We know Donnie Nelson is no longer there, right? So there are a lot of questions to answer in, in in Dallas. What did LeBron tell Jason Kidd in their last conversation oh, before Lord. he left? Mm-hmm. Now, just my question. Oh Lord. Just my- <laughs> Um, All right, guys. Well, listen, we got game four on the brink of this episode and you know our picks. Uh, Stick with us because we are on the home stretch, baby. Gerard, where can they find us? You guys know where to find us. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Uh, We are on Twitter at 7 Pod, on Instagram at 7 Podcast, at JS Hector, at Gentleman Selly. And we'll see you guys, listen, next week for the next episode. The finals may be over by then. Who knows? (laughs) Either way, we're here. (laughs) 
Spent a couple years out here with these raps Tryna have a plan that we may come true Plotted some jobs but I ain't hit back I don't wanna trap, what's a man gon' do? Chevy told me come through to the spot Got a little kickback, bring the whole crew Ride around 10, came dressed in the nines You already know what we really finna do